This is The Squad Room, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the 21st season of SVU. If you have not watched episode 2102, The Darkest Journey Home, we advise you to do so before listening. Hello and welcome back to The Squad Room. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, and we have a lot to discuss after watching episode 2102, The Darkest Journey Home. And wow, this was quite an episode. Lots of twists and turns and some heavy emotions. Today on the program, we sit down with the amazing Ariel Winter. She tells us about her deep love for Law & Order SVU, as well as how she went about portraying the rather complex character of Reagan James. And then we break down the darkest journey home with writers Julie Martin and Warren Light. And we'll discuss what they were hoping to achieve with this episode and how they got there. That's all happening on The Squad Room, brought to you by NBC and Wolf Entertainment. We are lucky enough today to be with Ariel Winter, and uh, thanks for joining us. No, I'm, I'm honored. It's my favorite show, really. Yay. It is literally <laughs> my favorite show ever, so to do anything associated with wow. SVU is great for me. Yeah, I was thinking that it's pretty much been on your whole life, right? Because it's, it's a very similar age old. to you, this and they the, turned 21. Yep, this is the 21st so season. I was wondering, when were you allowed to watch it? So I actually didn't start watching it until high school. Okay. So freshman year of high school, I started watching the show, and quickly it became my favorite show. And I started watching all of the marathons on USA. I watched every episode when it came out. I was watching like you know eight hours of SVU a day. If it's on the weekend, if it's on the weekday, you know I'm like doing my homework. But then I'm also watching SVU, so it was kind of like um, it was one of those things. I actually got into a, a big fight with my uh, brother-in-law because I lived with my sister and brother-in-law from 14 to 18. And I got in a huge fight with them, mainly my brother-in-law, because he just like, he was like, the DVR is filled. He was like, I just can't do it anymore. Like, I've asked you to record less episodes. He was like, anything, just like delete the episodes after you've seen them. He's like, I can't do this. Like the DVR, I can't record any of the shows I want. The DVR is all just SVU and like one of my shows. He's like, I can't do it. And uh, we got we got into a big argument about it where I was like, no, yeah, it's my life. But then uh, I started turning the record to only 10 episodes, and then I go through them, uh, and he was like, you've seen every episode already, why do you need to watch it again? And I was like, well, that's offensive. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I started watching it in high school, I've been watching it ever since. Last season I watched every Thursday, I was watching, when there were no episodes uh, on some of the Thursdays, I was pissed uh, <laughs> that I had to wait a week. <laughs> but yeah, it, it became my favorite show since high school. I don't want to say, like, I'm the perfect <laughs> fan, but... <laughs> I think you are. I think you are. Let's talk about this episode. I guess when you were offered the part, did you know how deep it was going to go into Reagan's life and just kind of the... You know, she's got a pretty deep, dark backstory that gets used against her unfairly, unjustly. Did you know all of that? Or were they just like, do you want to be on SVU? And you're like, of course. Well, actually, the offer came in with the script and with the description of Reagan. Of course, the description is not, you know. Can't go fully in depth. But as soon as I got the email and it said the headline, I like, <laughs> my heart dropped because I've been telling my agents, my managers for years, like, if they ever need somebody. Like, I'll even be the person that, like, is the victim that, like, dies in the first 10 minutes. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be. I don't want to be. But, like, if that's my only option, I'll be. Uh, so I got the email and I was 
really excited, hoping that it was what it was, and, and like I instantly read the script. I don't know where I was, but I know whatever I was doing, I read the script, and I loved it. And I think it's a great character. She's very complex. She gets judged unfairly, but sometimes that judgment might be a little just because she does like to lie and exaggerate and do some things that work against her, but she's also had a rougher life that she doesn't particularly lead on to because some people don't, I mean, nobody in general really wants to share the negative things about themselves or about their past. They'd rather, you know, create something that is a much better idea of themselves sometimes if they've been abandoned or they've had a difficult life just so they can get closer to people or people can see them in a different way. And it's heartbreaking in a way to see her do that, but it also kind of sets up the whole story of, you know, regardless of what you do or what type of person or, you know, anything can happen to anybody. And believing somebody regardless and getting down to the core of somebody who is that way, getting close to them, letting them, you know, getting them to trust you is a really beautiful, big thing. And and I just, I think she's a great character. She's got so many different sides to her, but she is a really sweet girl who just wants love. She just wants attention. And even if that attention can be negative, sometimes, you know, that person doesn't mind. At least somebody's, you know, paying attention to them. But she also does do some crazy things. So she's got all these different sides that I'm just really happy that they thought of me to play that because it is difficult, but it's also like, I want that. Like, I want to do something in an episode that I'd watch and be like, oh my God, that was so awesome. So, um, she is a great character. She just she has a lot, a lot of different things to her. Is that what this is about? You're mad because I changed a few details? I exaggerate sometimes, so what? Life is boring and my version is a lot more interesting. To me, it, it wasn't confusing to see why she was lying. Also, I think if she told the truth, it would make her harder to believe because they would immediately label her as troubled or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are some people who just exaggerate in general. They want things, I've done it, everyone's done it, she just does it consistently. So that won't always play into when she's lying. There are sometimes when she's exaggerating, and there are a lot of times where she's just flat out lying. And that's the difference. And I think the exaggeration is less about protecting herself and more about just, you know, wanting people to like her, wanting people to hear her, wanting people to see her. The lie is about protecting herself or shielding what she doesn't want other people to see. And she does have some, you know, she's manic depressive, which I get. I've been on medication for many years. She's got multiple different sides to her. I wouldn't necessarily say she's has multiple personalities. I think she's probably just manic depressive, been through some trauma and trying to work through that as anybody can be. And yeah, her, her lies are a lot of times to protect herself or to get close to people or to feel something and have somebody feel for her the way she wants them to feel for her, like her relationship with Benson. Like she doesn't want her to see her as anything negative. She wants that love because, you know, her family is not what she said it is. Her family is a lot more bare. She's a lot more alone. And I think she finds a, a connection with Benson, even though she doesn't particularly show it in the most vulnerable, natural way until the end. She's yeah. still kind of trying to fake it to maybe get there. But once she opens up to Benson, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing, is somebody actually takes the time to boil it down with her and to see what it is and get to the bottom and bring out the vulnerability in her that everybody has, that she definitely has, and uh, kind of bring something different for her. Let her trust somebody. 
and know that that's okay. And I think at the end of the episode, you know, it's not like she's going to be a completely different person. She's not going to exaggerate. She's not going to be manic depressive. She always will be because that's just life. But I think trusting people and maybe showing some of the more positive sides of her, she'll feel more comfortable doing after having this relationship with Benson. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a very, that last scene is really nice, the way they come together. And I think like, you know, lies are wishes sometimes, right? And I think the early one she tells about her parents is just what she wishes was her yeah, life. Yeah, you know? wishes she had uh, had the parents who yeah. are on the cruise, had the sister that she has the option to dislike. Right, right. Um, not necessarily an only child with a deceased parent and one in assisted living, so. As a viewer, I think, I hope that brings you in. That should bring the viewer in with her, like, connect, because, like, you can understand what the things that are missing in her life, you know? Like, that's what I took from it. Absolutely. But everybody has things missing in their life, so I think it's something that even if they don't have the same situation as her, they can relate to in some way. People yes. feeling isolated, people feeling alone, people feeling not good enough, people feeling like they're themselves, their story isn't interesting enough for people to care. I think regardless of if people relate to her exact situation or not, they can probably relate to her in, in some way because hopefully the way I'm portraying her, how we're working on it, will be likable enough to where you do see her vulnerable side and then you right. see the other side because usually every, everybody has that yes. and it's just harder to bring out. So it is a beautiful relationship between her and Benson and really I is. feel so, so grateful. You don't even know to be, uh, to be on the show in general but also to be... Working with Mariska because, like, when I when I was going to meet her, I'm not kidding, at the table read, like, oh, my God, I thought I was going to pass out. I had to, like, walk into a separate room. I was like, oh, my God, don't be so weird when you meet these people. Like, don't be so weird. And I'm never weird like that around anybody else. Like, it was, like, one other person. I haven't even met that person. But, yeah, she is just so freaking awesome and amazing. Like, talking to her is so easy. It's so comfortable. She makes you feel heard. She makes you feel all these things just as a person. And so getting to do that in a scene playing Reagan and her, of course, being Benson, is really cool that she is also that awesome in real life. And it's kind of like a dream come true for me. I know that sounds so ridiculous, and I never really <laughs> say dream come true. It sounds so weird. But it, it kind of is, and I love everybody that I've worked with here so far, everyone on the crew, everyone on the cast, everybody in general who works on this set. Because they're so kind, they're welcoming, they're fun, everyone everyone has a great rapport, and uh, it's really nice to come onto a set like that that's welcoming to somebody new who, for me, I'm, like, terrified. Um, but it's it's been uh, really lovely. I feel very grateful. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to come on the podcast. And uh, so thank you. Thank you. So we've heard a lot about Reagan James. Let's sit down with Julie Martin and Warren Light and find out where the inspiration for that character came from. Warren and Julie, thank you so much for coming on today. Pleasure having you as always. Nice to be back. Thank you for having me. Episode 2102, The Darkest Journey Home. Let's talk about that. Well, we were we were inspired by um, we had a, a series of experts coming to speak to the writers' room before we actually s sat down and started writing with updating us on what's new in law enforcement, what's new specifically in, in sexual assault uh, investigations. Um, and one of the women that we had come talk to us. Well, a few people a mentioned few people this. Actually, yeah. actually, the head of Manhattan's. Actually, the head of all of New York City's sex crimes uh, and hate crimes division came and talked to us. 
And he, he was a, a convert to this thing called uh, trauma-informed interview technique. Right. And then we were so intrigued by what he told us about it, we had a nurse from Savvy uh, come and speak to us. And then we had another detective. Detective from, who had, was also a convert. A convert. So something was going on out there in the field uh, that hasn't been reflected yet in, in, in uh, I don't think, in television drama. And also, most police stations haven't started to use this technique. So we, we were looking for a way. It, and the technique, basically, the premise of the technique is that when a person experiences a trauma, could be a car crash, could be uh, the day you find out your parents are getting divorced, a day where you're thrown off, where you're disoriented, your brain doesn't function in a normal way. It doesn't process information. Uh, your executive, your frontal lobes, your executive function kind of shuts down and you, you're reduced, the, the more primitive parts of your brain. There are things in your lizard brain. The lizard brain, yeah. The, there's an abadula, I, I think it's called. But the, that part of your brain that's primal starts to store things. So those, that part of your brain works uh, through sense, senses, you, through smells, through sounds, through... Uh, right. colors, shape, perceptions. And it's completely non-linear. And, and so what have detectives been asking victims of sexual assault for decades? Who, what, when, where, why? And so someone's just been traumatized, gone through the worst moment of their life, of her life or his life, and the detectives demand answers. And what happens is people have huge gaps in their memory because the, a lot of their brain is shut down and has been focused on survival. So when those gaps occur, Either in an effort to please the detective, they try to fill in the gaps and they kind of uh, fabricate. Can appear to be making things up or sometimes they do make things up because... They, they want to please the detective so they, they may describe something that isn't... They may say it was exactly 8 o'clock or it was a blue... Co they may just try to be helpful when their brain really hasn't figured out what's happened. We had these people come in. We learned that this was a technique that researchers in the military had come up with because they had so many instances of military assault, and and some of the people uh, studying these assaults couldn't understand why there were so many gaps in what people remembered about their assaults. And this new technique doesn't ask you, who were you with, what were you wearing, but asks you, what do you remember? Can you tell us what that was like? You Was was there a smell that you remember? And, and or that even just even more basic, like, is there anything you want to talk about? Or do you want to, you know, why did you come, why are you here today? How did we get here? And they ask victims just to talk about anything they want to for as long as they want to. So in real life, it goes on much longer than it does in our show. 40, 41 minutes of television. And it, it's a much more uh, intimate experience for the detective and, and the survivor. Uh, and great details emerge over time. They also don't try to get everything in one session. They also let people rest in between sessions. And over time, your memory fills in and comes back. Uh, and so you get a complete picture of the assault or, 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 or what happened, but not if you uh, bombard the victim, the recently traumatized victim, with, with linear questions. So this was, of course, we had spent years writing uh, exactly those kinds of disclosure scenes where someone would disclose and we would say, we'd have our detective say, what happened, what happened next? next? <laughs> Uh, as, in fact, detectives have been doing all over the country for decades. And we thought maybe it's time to put trauma-informed interview techniques. And there's another one called FETI, which is actually, I think it's a copywritten approach to this. And that's the one that all New York City SVU detectives now must study. Chief Osgood uh, 
basically sent every detective back to school to learn this technique. So we thought there's got to be, we want, we've also found out over time, and this is a little uh, anxiety provoking for me, that a lot of cops aren't trained in how to, um, how to do their job in, sec in cases of sexual assault. And a lot of cops get a lot of their information from watching SVU which uh, a lot of police departments don't have the time or the money to, to put people through formal training. So we thought it would be, if that's the case, and we don't think it should be the case, but if that's the case, we want to get people thinking in law enforcement, thinking about these new techniques as well. Yeah, and part of the episode included a, sort of a B-runner storyline where our detectives are actually taking the, the training themselves. Some some more like, yeah, Benson's a champion of it, but Finn and Rollins are a little bit more reluctant. But it sort of shows um, the process through our guys. You can know what the technique is, you can study it, and then when a trained therapist starts using the technique on you, it still works. And so that's one of the things we, we try to show. And, and it's kind of interesting in the episode what comes up there. Each detective or captain is asked, sergeant, detective, captain is asked, can you think of a trauma? And they could talk about anything, but they go right into some pretty Yeah, so I think that, that is going to be very entertaining for the fans to see where, where our characters go. Yeah, yeah. When you have this information come in, how do you go about taking it and then building a story? Is it... Do you immediately come together and say, I, I want to use this and write around it? Or is it, or did you have that yeah, story? Yeah, well, I think of? we wanted to do this interview technique. We also wanted to do um, uh, an, a, an episode from Mariska where she really bonded with one character, um, which she hasn't, hasn't had for a while. And it's. There was a, an Emmy Award winning episode of hers called 911, where there was a girl somewhere being held in captivity on the phone. And it was about their relationship and, and Olivia keeping her on the line until she could find her and save her. And so that that was in our mind that we wanted that kind of really intense bonding. And her to be the champion for someone that uh, other detectives may not think was the greatest uh, victim or the greatest witness, that she had some um, personal problems. She was uh, a little chaotic, I guess, in, in her life. and. We've also had all these detectives come in and tell us, as, as Olivia has said, there are no perfect victims. And so we wanted a, a, an extremely imperfect, imperfect. victim. Right. A, a lot of times victims also maybe shield things. They don't want the detective to know that before this incident they were partying hard or they were... None of that should matter in a prosecution, but the failure to get in front of it sometimes uh, comes back and bites people when it goes to trial because... Uh, defense attorney says, and you didn't even tell the detectives that you had dated this person and this person the night before, seemed, you know, hooked up with them. So how are we supposed to believe you now? So we wanted essentially a really flawed uh, victim. A challenging victim yeah. for, for Benson. Uh, one that the others maybe, you know, and anytime someone like this walks in, it's a litmus test for the squad room. Do you believe her? Does everyone in that squad room believe her? Who, who will bond with her? Uh, and we also wanted a, 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 a crime that at the beginning the victim has almost no recall of. So the end of the teaser, I think she says, she comes in and says, I, something may have happened. So I think something happened to me. Uh, so that's, now you really are, you're, that's a pretty steep challenge for our squad. You know, and I would guess 90% of police stations would say, when, when you figured out what happened, come back. Uh, but Olivia doesn't do that. 
So for the first episode, you know who the bad guy is from the start, and the whole episode is basically about trying to prove that he is, right? And then you have an episode like this where we don't know, the viewer does not know. Do you find them one more challenging to write than the other, or do you, it's just all writing? I think uh, we like mixing it up. Yeah. Uh, these are not mastermind criminals, the guys in this one, but the, what was fun from a writing point of view was how do you track a crime when the victim doesn't remember the crime? And that was the challenge of this one. That was kind of right. interesting. I'd work for the detectives and work for us. It's like, how do you... We, we approach it the way you would approach any crime that comes in the door if you, you know... This crime came in this way, so that's the, you know, I like to, during the course of the season, I think we like to mix it up so they're not all whodunits or why done. And this was, I mean, the, you know, I know we're not supposed to talk about the premiere, but the premiere was an episode of, like, how are we going to get this guy? And it was sort of um, the, the, the perp uh, was, a, was a, a bigger player almost in the story. And this one, we wanted the Benson and the victim to be really the leads of this story. Um, so we actually, del we don't really find out who, who's really responsible for the rape. It's almost like the, the back half of the episode. There was something else we'd been reading, we'd read about a, a number of crimes, some of them in, in you know, ride shares, uh, where a, a, a drunken woman gets into a, a car and four hours later she's being held against her will in a motel and there's five guys assaulting her. And it, it, I don't understand what kind of universe these people dwell in that a drunken person shows up in, in their car and they have four people they can call right. who will meet them for the... And, uh, and then the, the, there was this case where the girl got in a car that wasn't her rideshare car and ended up getting killed. So it's like, what's going on with these It, it is hard shares. to believe. And even you guys say, bad people know bad people. You know, there's some kind of line like, those kind of people know each other. But even thinking of that, it does seem rather unbelievable that four people could come together it should and, be unbelievable, and, yeah. and instead it's just horrifying because it seems to happen fairly often. Like, who has uh, that on their speed? I can't get people to go to a ball game with me. Uh, you know, but, but there's, but I guess scales no scales, you know, and, and that's, I think Finn has, has that observation in the episode. But I, I was intrigued. It's, it's not just the banality of evil. It's, it's, it's something more disturbing, the casualness of yeah. these guys. Like, hey, she's drunk. Let me make some calls. And, and so, uh, and I think for someone like Carisi, that just disturbs him on a, on a very basic level. That, that these, you know, uh, so that was, at the end, when we get to them, they're not, uh, they're not. They're not psychopaths necessarily. They're, they're kind of ordinary, which is even more disturbing. We, you know, one of them's a dad going through a divorce. They're, they're, and that's, you know, we have this perception that, that, uh, People who do this, you could pick them out in a crowd. These four guys, if you met them at a barbecue right. or got into their car or, you know, saw them at the boatyard, you'd say, hey, how's it going? You'd talk about football or something, and you wouldn't uh, project this kind of behavior onto them. And that's fair. There are a lot of serial. I would guess the guys who did this, like the ones in this episode, it's not the first time they've done this. And there's just a pathology to these sort of casual serial predators that is disturbing. We were here. I know it. That smell. What smell? From the fryers. Sour in my mouth. I kept thinking 
Where are my shoes? So you were barefoot? Yeah. Do you find that when you're thinking of where they're going to go, the whole, like, Sheepside Bay, Clemente, is this, does that take a long time to figure out, or do you, like, let's go to Brooklyn? Like, what, what is the... <laughs> well, one of our other writers in the room just said, oh, I know where they should go. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hamill's from Clemente's Brooklyn. Shack. <laughs> he just had Clemente's Crab Shack. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know, know he, why that popped into his head. We wanted, we, I think we wanted a long journey. Uh, and we wanted to stay... Right, they had to be in a car for a while. Right, and we didn't want yeah, them to go into yeah. Jersey because that would be completely out of our jurisdiction. Right, right. Brooklyn's already out of our jurisdiction, but because it began in Manhattan, we wanted the, We wanted the it. girl to sort of be sparked about, wait, something terrible may have happened to me by seeing, like, wait, I was in the... By seeing the, 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 the map, the app, right, right, you know, right, where, right, where did I go? Right, where did they take me there? I don't know anybody there, so I... Yeah. So, yeah, the notion of somebody from Manhattan going to Clemente's crab house when she thought she was being dropped off on Morningside Heights seemed that's a real clue that something happened that you didn't know was going to happen. We liked that part of it and we wanted it helped us in terms of sensory memory. Do you take her to the woods? Someplace where there are smells that might trigger some recall. Sound of water, the smell of the ocean. So you need those things in place really to kind of yeah to make that sensory information part of it. I mean, I don't think it would have worked if he, they'd taken her to a hotel in Midtown. It would have been, I mean, we'd have figured, figured it out. Figured it out, but it's not, yeah. Uh, and also, you know, at this time of year, the crew likes to get out of town and shoot. That's but, what I was thinking. Although it was apparently really a horribly hot day when they were yeah, It was like there. 100 degrees. It wasn't ideal. <laughs> so that worked well. So then Reagan, as far as, you know, she's maybe seen as unreliable in some of the things she leaves out and, you know, maybe she wants her family to be a certain way, so she's lying and... Uh, if that comes clear in the episode, or if that was just in the yeah, it's it's pretty clear. Yeah, Ariel does a great job uh, as a girl on her own, who uh, and I and I think we all have, uh, for better or worse, we we're we've all, all sort of drawing from people that we knew. You know, people you've been involved with romantically, you'll see it, or people perhaps in your family that have so much turmoil going on inside of them that they don't feel calm until they've projected that drama onto others, and then they're relaxed and you're crazy. Right. And then everything's good for them. And and so that's a bad person to have walk into the squad room because she's going to uh, embellish her stories. And she's going to, not only does she not know what happened, she has a tendency to embellish. And she has a tendency to quickly feel betrayed. Um, and so there's a lot going on with her. By the way, and people like that are often more prone to be assaulted. It's another sort of a sad thing that, that uh, she's... She is someone, she's a risk taker. She does drink to excess. She does drug to excess. She does party a little hard. And she, so. Uh, and she challenged Benson too. I mean, we wanted someone that wasn't just going to be, that wasn't, it wasn't going to be easy for Benson. Or yeah. She was, you know, she felt betrayed by her. She uh, lied to her and then got upset that Benson was upset that she lied to her. Right. <laughs> and significantly others in the squad room begin to, as probably happens to Reagan's character in real life, or in, in, in real fictional life, they begin to tire of it. I can't, I don't know where this girl is coming from. I can't take it. I don't want any part of it. You have the boyfriend feeling overwhelmed, the doctor. Yes. The, the, uh, you have all these, your sense is over time, she's worn she's out. She's driven people away. Yeah. Uh, and what she really wants, of course, is intimacy. So, But everything she does drives people away. Do you feel like they do come together in the episode? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a, it's a sweet, I mean, bittersweet, but there, at the end, uh, 
here's this this kid who stirred everything up, had uh, had one, a horrible night, proceeded to make things as difficult as possible for everyone, and the guys are pleading out, which means she won't go to trial, and she's still giving Benson a little bit of a hard time. Benson says, you know, I'm, I'm here, and she realizes that's true. Uh, uh, Reagan realizes, you are, aren't you? Yeah. I think that... That be- Benson believes her, and what, what, what Ariel might not know... But the audience will know is Benson believes her because she went through a similar experience. Right. And in Benson's interview, you're using flashbacks to so she's going there in her mind while this thing is happening to the person she's talking so to. The whole time she's trying to be with Reagan, she's I think this is uh, the the training that she's begun the episode with is triggering all kinds of flashbacks for her which I think is pushing her to try to see this through. Another thing that happened when we were doing the, putting the rise room together, we went to a, uh, a panel with Roxanne Gay and, um, and Mariska and several other people, and, and it was, the panel was on being believed. Uh, and that also, I think, had a, a pretty strong impact on the entire writing team. And the reason Olivia is able to believe uh, she's the product of rape going back 21 to the years to the first episode, and because she's lived through it and she knows 98% of the people who come through the door and say something's happened to me have indeed had something happen to them. Uh, we had one police officer tell us up until he took this training, he, he, in his mind, 40% of the women are lying when they come in. And then he took the training and suddenly his whole career inverted on him and he realized... It, 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 suddenly it all made sense to him why it's so disconnected. So that was, that was also, uh, Benson knows. Benson's ahead of the curve on this stuff. Right. You know? I mean, that's clear, I think, in her, when she's being interviewed versus the other people, she seems the most willing to get into it, you know, whereas uh, Kelly cuts it off. And is it- yeah, no, they had, it was interesting. What does Finn do in therapy? What is, what is, uh, we use the names interchangeably. Right. <laughs> Amanda Kelly, Anna doing Kelly therapy. Rollins. Uh, um, and we think it's kind of, uh, Amanda is not someone, uh, at least not yet, somebody who's been preoccupied with, with delving into her psyche. Overly introspective. She's acted out a bit here and there, gambling, picked up men, picked up whatever. So uh, someone like that maybe doesn't want to dig in too deeply. So it's the technique starts to work on her and she's like, got to go. Shut that door. Uh, but I think, and and one of the one of the lines in the episode, um, which actually I think came from Mariska, when she was encouraging her detectives to study this technique, she said, "Don't don't we all want to be better at our jobs?" Um, and I think that's is Mariska's attitude and Benson's attitude. So she was willing to take the deep dive. And that's the only way to get Rollins to go. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's been ordered by the new chief, the new deputy chief, uh, who we'll be meeting soon, uh, and so they kind of have to go. Interestingly, Finn is uh, things come up for Finn. I liked that line of uh, "It's okay, I know those feelings are there." Yeah, I think he's there's more to there's Finn's um, there's more going on with Finn than sometimes people. I, get. I expected him to just not. Yeah. do anything in it. I was happy that he was... He, he went, it. He yeah. went yeah. there, yeah. He went yeah. there, right. I was thinking about with the casting, because Reagan's such a, a complicated character. Did you see a lot of people? Did you know it was going to be Ariel while you're writing it, after you're writing it? Like how? 
mean, we went to Ariel pretty early. We didn't yeah. audition anyone for it. It was an offer. Uh, we've had really good luck bringing people in from sitcoms and music and things like that. Uh, she's there's a uh, you know she's there's a, a a seeming fragility to her. She's that that really we thought would work. You know, and I, I knew someone like that would want to um, do something other than what she's what people know her for. She said she's uh, she's been on that show for more than half her life on Modern yes. Family, and she's great on it. Uh, and I thought I bet she's ready to. Yeah, I think it was exciting for her to do something different. But I was thinking, like, is that a case you're both on set when you write the episode, right? So you're, are you, is there anything? Not all the like, time, but <laughs> as much as we can be. Right. Yeah. Or, or do you uh, influence things in, in a direction or is that all genre or is it? Oh, you know, a lot of it is in the prep uh, that we have. A, before shooting begins, we have seven days of prep and we have toning sessions. That's where you meet with the director and the producers and any other writers and I, uh, I probably take too much time doing it, but it, I'll do three two-hour sessions, first 15 pages, next 15 pages, going page by page, what's this about? We do a lot of rewriting in front, with the director, in front of the director at that time. The idea is uh, when they're on set, there shouldn't be any question as to what our intentions were, what a line means, what's the most important thing in a scene. Um, and I don't... And we don't dictate shots so much. I'll just say, I want to have the feeling that Ariel is isolated and alone. And if I say that to a director like Jean Disagunzak, he'll short frame her or he'll use a lens choice. He'll do something that gives me that sense. I don't. He doesn't need to hear me talk about lenses or, and, or blocking. Yeah, and there is a little bit of occasionally a little bit of rewriting on the set when you're in the when you're in the space and the actors are. It's actually being the scene is blocked and the actors are moving around the space and you hear it. And sometimes it's usually there's a, a line or a word. Too many. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's a cast read-throughs. Um, we're always ma- we're, we're making changes every hour of every day before shooting begins, just trying to tighten it. You look at every location that comes in, and that makes you think of, oh, wait a minute. Even, oh, there's not really a lot of, well, well that pier, or what's the, na- the name of, oh, or little things. We had a name for the boat. Uh, what was the original name? The, the Bay, Bay Lady. Lady. Which I was convinced there was like a thousand Bay Ladies. And that name didn't clear because there was only one boat called Bay Lady in How the New York Harbor. How could that be? I still don't So then that. we went with, with sort of the Billy Joel tune, and I thought, well, it's okay. It's a, that would be a, a favorite song for guys out there, and that, that became... Uh, that's where we went with the boat name. So there's things are... Like, there's like 9,900 uptown Uptown, <laughs> uptown girls. Yeah. But it sort of worked for Ariel's character. But yes, there's a thousand boats named Uptown Girls, but only one Bay An Lady. An aquaholic, apparently. Aquaholic uh, is the, so the most popular boat on this name. Show. <laughs> so you're not really doing much with the acting, as far as like. Uh, it's, uh, well, no. You, I mean, the director. I, I will go on set. I'll give the note. The protocol uh, is to give the note to the director and have the because the, the last thing an actor or an actress needs is like notes from six different people. It's like, imagine going into the batting cage and somebody saying, you know, uh, hit it to pull the ball. Someone's just saying, swing away. Just one voice for the actors is the same way to We go. did talk to Mariska about the, about the, uh, the Fetty training uh, scene. Cause she was, she was curious why she would, that she's, it's happened a long time ago that she's been in therapy. Why would she be so willing to go back there? And, um, 
And we, we talked her through it. And we said, actually, we sort of fedied ourselves through some experiences. And if you sit there and you just really start thinking back on a trauma, your brain just goes right back there and it doesn't matter. It's all embedded. How many times you've talked about it, it still comes back. And and then she sat down with the nurse, the same nurse who'd come yeah, to speak to us, whom I think you're talking to yes. as well. And then uh, she said, oh, you guys are right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, you, you know, and that's just one episode, but there was a lot of research that went into that one, I think. So was there a favorite line from that you wrote for this episode or anything that you felt like? I, I had one. Did you have one? <laughs> what was yours? No, it was when Finn says, that's okay, I know they're there. I just, for some reason, ah. that was to me yeah. a little interesting thing for about Finn. Um, and you? Well, probably not the Invisalign line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the simple line at the end where, where Benson says, I, know, I, I believe you, and Ariel says, how, how do you know that? And Benson says, because uh, I've been there, it happened to me. I actually don't even remember what the exact line was. But When you're writing for someone young and you're getting into the new lingo, do you find that challenging, or do you... No. Is there enough people in the room to kind of like... Well, I have two kids and I have two young daughters. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not so hard to stay up on... Uh, the uh, idiolects of various age groups and all that, but what's hard is to get words, you know, you're on Through broadcast clearance. television. Yeah. There's yeah. only so many ways you can say oral sex <laughs> that are acceptable to uh, a, a network yes, the, broadcast. Yes, the and we, stress relieving scene in the <laughs> dressing room. The, yeah, that <laughs> in was... In the lingerie department. But I think we solved Barbies. that. I think we settled on Blowy, I believe. and, and Worked for the character. Worked for and, the character. Network, but that clearance. was a lot of back and forth. I've heard some of that, and I was I was <laughs> kind of surprised that you were hanging on that for so long. But yeah. I understand why. You know, uh, it's, we have a pretty nice relationship with sta our, our standards and practices guy. He'd be a good guest for you, actually. We, we, maybe we'll get him. But as far as like writing for what a, a twenty-one-year-old, you feel like there's enough. You're in contact, and you have kids. You're, there's enough younger people. Yeah, in the room I that, have teenagers. He has pre-teenagers. I yeah. feel. But also, I, I, I mean, this may not make people feel comfortable when they socialize with me, but if I go to a family event or a wedding or I'm at a coffee shop by myself, I'm always trying to listen in. Even when I do, I'm doing PT now, I'm always trying to listen in on how... Well, the best place is the subway. Subway, yeah. Just pick up as much dialogue as you can. Not so much the... Sometimes the stories are Young pretty people, good. Young people, old people. But you want to get... I, I like to hear the... The rhythm of different uh, different speakers, you know, and I, I, I uh, so while someone thinks they're having a conversation with me and I'm being, I'm seemingly empathic. Actually, I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. Well, it's people you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, it's even worse. <laughs> For the other actors, besides the main storyline that you have, is it important in every episode that there's something going on that's not related to the case for your characters to feel like you're pushing story along? Or do you have episodes where you're just like, we can't deal with that right now? It's really hard. I mean, we'd love to. We'd love to have um, uh, someone talk about something that's going on in their life that's not directly related to the case. Um, Maybe thematically related. Thematically related, but uh, it, it's, it's tricky. It's hard. We have fewer minutes uh, of our of airing time than we've ever had before, so... 
The best is when people are in a stakeout because they're sitting there waiting. So you get like three lines in. But it's, it, you know, the, the shows have always had the Law & Order franchise has always revealed personal details in tincture drops. And uh, it's been a big evolution of the show to have more personal stories. But it's, it's, you know, but if a cut comes in at 44 minutes or 45 minutes and it's five minutes over, you're not going to cut out the confession scene or the disclosure scene. You're going to cut out that little you sweet can scene. Kind of work it a little bit. I think it, I think it stayed in there. Was Rollins was cautioning Benson about Ariel's character, saying, you know, she reminds me a lot of my sister. Uh, I think that's that ended up staying in. You just try and drop in a, cu- a couple lines here and there, just to so it's not just strictly talking about the facts of the case. But it's a uh, it's a challenge. You know, you have five acts and a teaser, and yeah, m- uh, mom- momentum is really tricky. But for every character this this season, there will be. Yeah, well, uh, there, at, at any moment in the season, certain characters are going to be more in the forefront. Um, uh, was it the Levitz paradigm? Is that what it was called? That's it. You guys can Google that. The Levitz, but but it basically, it's a kind of storytelling where what you think may be the A character of a season is the A character for four or five episodes, then the B character becomes the A, the C becomes the B. It's actually not unlike life, where you think, oh, uh, everything's together, my kids are back to school, I've got this, I've got that, and then some brick comes through the window that you weren't anticipating. So I I like that kind of storytelling. Um, it's, uh, It's kind of organic, I think. And just let certain people run with the ball and and certain storylines kind of simmer. You know, you can only do so much, but uh, I like mixing it up. And we have a nice cast, and you want to make sure they're all uh, challenged as well. Great. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks. All right. That's it for episode two of The Squad Room. We hope you enjoyed it. Please follow us on Instagram at NBCSVU and at Wolf Entertainment on Twitter at NBCSVU and Wolf Ent. Next week, you're not going to believe it, the one and only Dick Wolf is coming on the podcast. None of us would be doing this right now if not for that man. I personally can't wait for that one. I know you're going to love it. And The Squad Room was hosted and produced by me, Anthony Roman, executive producers Elliot Wolf and Warren Light. And as always, it was brought to you by NBC and Wolf Entertainment. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back.